wife of the late and great Charles Seibert, made a comment one time that made me smile. She was a member on a worship committee. They picked out songs for the church. And she says, my job is to make a different set of people upset each week. Because she said, if we pick out the old hymns, the young people are upset. If we pick out the new praise songs, then the old people are upset. So I'm always making somebody upset. Well, it's not my intention. But the bottom line is, there's probably going to be a few of you who leave here upset today. It's warm in here now, but that's not why my hands are sweating. What I want to share with you today is not an easy message to share and certainly not an easy one to receive. And so I pray that you do it with a softened heart. And understand that the words that I share are not my own words. They're not words that I made up. They are the words of not only our Savior, but our Lord. Because He's our Master. So as you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 13. Go ahead and just slip on those steel-toed boots. Because there's a likelihood that there may be a little stepping on of some feet by Jesus. I don't know that we're going to trample or stomp, but there might be a few toes that get squished. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 5 and lacing up those boots, I want to talk to you about how yesterday was a really, really good day for me. In fact, it was so good that last night I went to bed with both feet still attached to my legs. You see, usually on a game day, I'm defeated. I don't know if that really means that my feet fall off, but it's rare for us these days to win a game. My soccer team, the U10, that's nine-year-olds, have been battling it out on the soccer pitch for the last month and a half, and we've been quite unsuccessful, 9-0, to 8-0, 7-0. But, but yesterday, we entered the win column. It was a great day. But to be honest, I'm really not about winning. In fact, I really don't even care to win, much to the chagrin of several of my parents. We're always behind me yelling. But I don't care about winning. You know, I like teaching the fundamentals of the game. I like knowing that Gabe will end the season having learned to clear out. That Demontre will know what it means to push forward. And Brett will know what to do when I yell, cross over. But these are all secondary goals. My main goal is that I want them to learn how to win with class and to lose with dignity. How to score with their foot and not shoot with their mouth. I want them to know that their worth as a person is not determined by a great play or a final score. I want them to end with the season with an understanding of discipline, respect, encouragement, and value. I don't care if we win. I don't care about a trophy. I want to be out there and I want to encourage them. 
You see, because that's not what we get in this world. Most of those kids have already experienced what it's like to be yelled at and screamed at and told them that they're not good enough. And if they haven't, they have the rest of their lives to hear that. I want to be the one that makes a difference in their life and lets them know that no matter how good or bad that they play, they're still valued as a person. A couple nights ago, there was a collision. One of my players went down, knocked the wind out of him, ran onto the field, He was hurting. He was crying. He's a little nine-year-old boy. One of his buds gets on one side, I get on the other, and we pick him up and we take the hobbled player over to the bench. We are 20 feet from the sideline. We're not still several steps away. The mom is standing on the sidelines and she says, You're not hurt. Get back in the game. He gets over to the sideline as an... And as I'm sitting him down, she says, Okay, if you want to sit here and cry like a baby, that's fine, but I'm not going to hang around and watch it. And she turns around and walks away. Several years ago, I was refing U5. Four-year-old kids, little girl on the team. Ball goes past her, coach runs up beside her, he happens to be her dad. And he whispers this in her ear, but it's loud enough that I can hear. He says, Listen, If that ball goes past you one more time, I want you to walk off the field. Don't go to the sidelines. Just keep walking home because I'm not giving you a ride. You see, our kids, they get these types of messages from the world. We tell them this all the time. But Jesus offers a different message to us. He tells us that we are to be the salt of the earth. Well, what does this mean? Join me, if you will, as I begin reading in verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. What's salt? I mean, when I think of salt, I think of that quite little granules that sit in the little glass container with the little shiny stainless steel top. It's a condiment. Is that what Jesus is saying? Hey, you're supposed to be the seasoning of life. You add a little spice to it. That's your job. Well, in the year 2012, maybe that's what salt serves in our life. Well, you know, it's also good for a few other things. But really, it's not now what it was then. You see, salt was in fact a seasoning, but in Old Testament times, it served 11 purposes, only one of them being seasoning. Another one would be purifying. You see, they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't even know what an icebox was. They would take their meat after it was cut, and they would have to put salt on it. Because the salt would kill the bacteria, and by killing the bacteria, it would preserve the meat and allow it to last longer. It wasn't just about making something taste good. It served two main purposes. It purified, and it preserved. Without refrigeration, the meat quickly spoiled. However, when salt was sprinkled onto it, it would allow the meat 
to last. But Jesus is not talking just about what salt does. He's more talking about what you are. If you look back in the Greek in verse 13, it uses a very emphatic word for you. It's a second person plural pronoun that's placed before the direct object. And so this is how we read him to say, you are the salt of the earth. And he says it in such a way that he's not saying that you and other people, he's saying you are the salt of the earth. Rusty, he says that you are the salt of the earth. Lynn, he's not saying other people. You know, we do have a big thing coming up in a few weeks. It's an election. But let me tell you something. Man, it's getting hot in here. I called my, I walked in here an hour ago. It was freezing. I called my wife and said, Jennifer, you got to bring the thermals. I'm freezing. So now I'm all gussied up and ready to go. And now I'm, I'm start, I see everybody sweating. Nobody fall asleep here. This is not an excuse to fall asleep here. Listen, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You know, we're about to elect some guy president. It's not his job to be the salt of the earth. You can join some parent-teacher association. That's not the salt of the earth. You can do any number of things, good things, but that does not make you the salt of the earth. Jesus says very emphatically, you, the Christians, are to be the purifying presence in the world. You know, salt was good to purify, but as Jesus said, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Here's, here's the interesting thing about salt. Salt back then was either, it was either positive or negative. There's no neutral. It was either good or it was bad. There was no in between. He said, you know what, if you have good salt, you put it on the, on the meat and it purifies it. But if it's bad salt and it no longer has the purifying quality, you can't put it on the meat because it doesn't do any good. But let's think about this. Even worse, he says that it's got to be thrown out and trampled by men. Well, why can't you just pour it out in the lawn? Why does it have to go on the road where it's stepped on? Because if you take that salt and dump it out in your yard, the high sodium content is going to burn the grass and kill it. So not only is salt not something that gives life, that promotes life, it's something that causes death. What does all this talk of table salt have anything to do with us as Christians? What's very clear? God calls us to be the salt of the world. But we've seen it, haven't we? We know what happens when salt loses its saltiness. Gentleman I know serves as a deacon at a church great guy, wonderful servant, maybe one of the most humble and gentle and encouraging guys that I know. He's generous, he's kind, and he's been kicked out of most sporting venues 
in the Tri-County area. You get him around a ball and he goes crazy. He's yelled at coaches, players, refs. He's pointed his finger. Made a few threats. Tossed out of games and told you are never allowed back in this gymnasium again. Lots of people who see him getting escorted out of games and told he's not allowed to come back in, later find out that he's a deacon of a church. And you know what they say? I ain't going to that church. No. It's not going to happen. I've seen it happen. See, Satan loves to target Christian leaders, because he knows that if he can take down a leader, not only does he get him and his family, but he can cripple an entire church. Bring them to their knees. I was serving as a spiritual director uh, in an ecumenical um, parachurch organization. A bunch of churches would get together and they would put on these retreats. And one of our board members was caught having an affair with a preacher's wife. And so we met together and said, what do we do? And I said, well, 1 Corinthians is pretty clear about what you do. You discipline him so that he will be saved. I said, what we have to do is we have to let him and everybody else know that as Christians, we're called to a higher standard. But that's not what we're about. He's not doomed. We're not saying we don't want him to worship with us. We just say, right now, you need to get your life in order before you can lead and call yourself a Christian leader. Well, he, he didn't like that too well. And one of my good friends who was on the board said, I'm stepping down. He says, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be a part of a a group of people who refuses grace. And I went over to his house, and we had a long conversation. And I told my friend, I said, listen, it's not about board meetings. It's about saving this man's soul. And as long as he continues to live a life of sin, then his soul is in danger. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I've been out in the middle of the road playing and could have got ran over. But just because I'm out of that road doesn't mean when I see somebody else in that road playing, I should say, well, too bad. I hope he doesn't get run over. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run out into that street and I'm going to drag him off and say, don't get caught in there. Nothing is more important than your salvation and your relationship with Jesus. But we've gotten soft. 
If you've been around the church for more than about 25 or 30 years, you've watched the pendulum swing from here where it was hell, fire, and damnation and everybody's going to hell except us and now it's starting to swing over. But we're passing the middle and we're getting to the other side where all we talk about is grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. And hey, I love grace. If you haven't heard me talk about grace, then you've had your ears plugged for the last six months. But let me tell you something. It's one thing to stick a bumper sticker on your car that says, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. But that does not mean that you have a license to go out and live like the rest of this world. We have a higher calling. Not just about us. It's for the other people who are out in this world who are stuck and hurt and lonely and lost and they want to know something's different. And we have to offer them something different. We have to be different from this world. We are the salt of the earth. But if we lose our saltiness, if we are unpure, then we're not good for anything. Luke records that Jesus says in Luke 14.35, He says, it's not, if salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for soil or the manure pile. At least manure is fertilizer. But we've seen it. We've watched how when good people fail, other people fall. What does that mean for us? Are you really trying to be the salt? Have you ever been really hungry and grabbed a bag of, of chips? I'm not talking about the Pringles or the baked lays. I'm talking about a real chip. And you grab that and you take about six or seven of those. What happens next? You start to get really thirsty. Are you living in such a way that when people see you, they thirst? Do you know what your purpose is? Are you trying in every way to glorify God? I told you I was going to step on some toes and I'm going to. I'm going to tell you something. The salt of the earth lives different from the rest of this world. If you're getting drunk and gambling your money at Zia... That's not the salt of the earth. That's good for nothing. That's to be thrown out and trampled by men. If you're standing in line at the movie theater to buy a ticket to a movie that you know you shouldn't go to, you're not the salt of the earth. You might as well be thrown out and trampled by men. I'm telling you, I, Jesus is not calling us to be perfect. But He has a higher calling for your life. And people want that. You know, it's wonderful that people come in here and they can feel at home and feel comfortable. But we want to offer them what only Jesus gives a radical change in their life. And we have to be the ones who do it. Now, I'm really going to get in trouble for this. I'm going to, but I'm going to do it anyway. An author tells a story of the time that he walked 
uh, into a cafe. It was about 11.15 and things hadn't got rolled yet. And he, so he stood there for several minutes and finally the hostess came and sat him down and she sat him at a table that wasn't quite clean. And after a few minutes, somebody scurried out from back of the kitchen. They cleaned it. Several more minutes, somebody finally came and took his order. And about 45 minutes of being there, he finally got his food. The food wasn't bad. It was okay. But he realized something. They weren't ready for him. They weren't ready for him. We're not a diner. But we have visitors who come into our presence every week. And my question is, are we ready for them? Do we expect them to be here, and are we going to offer them something else? I do it too. I'm indicting myself. But when we come rolling in here at 9.05, and we run to get our... Our pew and blow past the visitor who's been here for 10 minutes, sitting down hoping that they don't get bumped to another pew. Are we really sharing the message of Jesus Christ? Are we really telling people, we want you to be here, but we're not really here? I told you I was going to meddle. But if you really want to make a difference in this world, it's not just about showing up to church early, but boy, wouldn't that make a big difference? If you were here 15 minutes early, and when people walked in the door, you weren't chasing down your child, you had already found your place, and you were greeting people, and you made them feel welcome? Is that what the salt of the earth does? I'm getting a lot of people are looking at me like, he's not going there, is he? I'm telling you, it's being here is just not about being here. Okay, we may not have time for class tonight. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one puts a bowl on a lamp. Instead, they put it on a stand so everyone in the house can see it. I want to show a little demonstration. I've already got us warmed up already. So I might as well. I know, I know there was a fire several years ago and some of you get a little antsy around open flame, but you are the light of the world. It's lit every time before, but now I'm shaking. How many, how many brides is this their worst nightmare? You are the light of the world. You are the... If I keep saying myself, there we go, come on. There we go. That's a tiny flame. You notice how he says, a city on a hill won't be hidden? No, 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 no. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. If you're a Christian, you can't hide who you are. And then he he says something that seems pretty ridiculous, but 
He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts a bowl over it. Because if you put the bowl over it, then you can no longer see the light that's underneath. And we miss out on shining our light to other people. That in this dark world, when we walk into a room by our actions and our words, we tell people that there is something greater that's going on than the life that they're living right now. That there's something more out there. We're the ones who are to do that. But there's another reason why it's important that we don't put a bowl over our lamp. It's really simple. Not only do you keep other people from seeing it, the light goes out itself. So what exactly is shining your light? What does it mean to shine your light? Verse 16 is pretty clear. He says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't believe the gospel's about hell, fire, and damnation. It's, it's about the good news of Jesus Christ. If it weren't for grace, I wouldn't be here. There would be no reason to sing. But at some point, we have to not allow grace to become a license to do whatever we want. We need to be a people who is willing to be different. A few verses earlier, Jesus talked about persecution that we would face because of it. But that's not all of it. If you're the salt of the earth, you're going to be persecuted. But He also said that if you're the light of the world, you're going to draw people closer to Christ. Isn't that what we really want? To bring people closer to Christ? To let them know that our lives are completely and radically changed because we serve a Savior who has made us holy? I'll never forget the time when I was at camp. I was probably a senior in high school, and we had one of these gigantic water slides, and it was, um, it was just this big plastic sheet of painter's tarp that had been doused with some um, Dawn detergent and sprayed down, and it was placed on a hill, and you would get on that thing, and you would slide all the way down, and you get to the bottom, and um, before long, that nice grass at the bottom kind of got tore up, and by the time we got done, it, it got pretty muddy. And then we started rolling around and wrestling in the mud, and by the time we got done, I mean, we were just covered in mud. 
and it was it was a hot day, and it didn't take long for that mud to like start to dry up and and just cake on, and you would kind of scratch it off. And after we played around, we had another activity we had to go to, and we could not wait to get back and and shower and, and get cleaned off. And I'll never forget the feeling of how good that's that was. The, the most time I, I, I've wanted to shower was getting that terrible mud off me and being clean. That's what Jesus offers us. He says, I am cleansing you. I am baptizing, I'm immersing you in myself and when you come up, you will be clean or holy. None of us got out of the shower and cleaned up and said, hey, let's go jump in the mud again. But sometimes Christians do that. We get cleaned and then we find ourselves going right back to the mud. Jesus calls us to something better. And he says, don't let your light burn out. Don't stop doing those deeds which I have called you to. I've called you a life of faith and deeds. I don't want to leave you feeling berated and beat down. I want to leave you with an understanding that we have an opportunity to be an agent of change in Hobbes, New Mexico. That you have the ability to change. It can start with maybe something simple as being here a few minutes early. It may be even better that you come a few minutes early and you bring somebody with you. It may mean that today when we get out, you go to lunch and as you're sitting across, you look over at somebody at the other table and say, Hey, we're having a fall fun fest tonight at 5 o'clock. Come and join us. Maybe you go to your neighbors and say, We're going to be giving out candy and smiles and hugs. Come join us tonight at 5. I don't know what it is. But we can make a difference. God has called us to make a difference. And while I've spent most of the time beating you on the head, I want you to spend just a few minutes and listen to this song and the words that it has to say and what Jesus calls us to. Some brightly burning And some dark and cold And there is a spirit Who brings a fire Ignites a candle And makes his own Carry your candle And run to the darkness Seek out the helpless, confused and torn And hold out your candle for all to see Take your candle and go light your world 
take your candle and go light your frustrated brother see how he's tried to light his own candle some other way See now your sister She's been robbed and lied to Still holds a candle Without a flame So carry your candle And run to the darkness Seek out the lonely The tired and Hearts are blazing, so let's raise our candles and light up the sky. Praying to our Father in the name of Jesus, make us a beacon in darkest times. For those of you who are visitors uh, this morning, we want to again welcome you for being here with us and let you know that we have an invitation to offer to each one of you. This is not a message you're going to hear every week, but it's something we need to be reminded of. For our members, we've got work to do. We've got a lost, broken world out there. We've got to light our candles. 
we need to reach out to people. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, we want to encourage you to join us as together we light our candles. A wise man once said, a candle is never dimmed when it lights another candle. Let's go out and light one another's candles and change this world for the next. And preserve what God has given us and purify ourselves. If there's any way that we can serve you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.